0: Welcome to OECD Podcast, where policy meets people. The world is suffering from a devastating drought. According to an August report from the European Drought Observatory, nearly two-thirds of European territory is either experiencing drought or on high alert due to stifling heat waves and minimal rainfall. The consequences are far-reaching. Electricity production, crop yields, and inland shipping are just a few of the sectors being hit as wildfires expand and rivers run dry. And Europe isn't alone. From the Horn of Africa to the Western United States, severe drought is threatening lives and livelihoods. Today, I'm joined by Xavier Le Water Team Leader at the OECD Environment Directorate, who will give us a sense of what's at stake as the world braces for higher temperatures and water scarcity. We'll talk about what governments can do in the short and long term and how the international community can respond. Thanks for joining me, Xavier.
1: Thanks for having me, Karina.
0: This summer, I think, has been a wake up call for a lot of people when it comes to seeing the effects of climate change firsthand. There have been massive wildfires, devastating heat waves, and especially that we've seen in France and in Europe, water shortages. In France, more than 100 municipalities are short on water. So I guess to start the discussion, is this our new normal? Is this something that we can expect now every summer moving forward?
1: Well, indeed, as you notice, water is everywhere. It's making headline news, and uh, what I would like to emphasize here is that this this is no more unique. Uh, if you look back just last year, I mean, the situation in France was quite similar in terms of drought and, and water scarcity, and two thirds of the of the territory um, were was really affected by by, by that. If you Look beyond California, it has been hit by the drought for two decades. So what we are witnessing today seems to uh, uh, repeat um, uh, more frequently. It's no more unique, no more uh, um, exceptional. What we can learn from that is that uh, we are facing more uncertainty. So we now have to brace ourselves and prepare.
0: So in terms of that preparedness, we've seen some measures already. There are restrictions on irrigation, water use... How do you see the response of French government or other governments in Europe so far or elsewhere in the world in in terms of dealing and adapting to this crisis?
1: Well, restricting what we use is quite a common response that we've seen in a number of countries. Um, It probably makes sense as an emergency uh, or immediate response uh, when we are facing a crisis, but it is a very Costly and, in a sense, inappropriate response because uh, restricting water use um, can affect, um, you know, different communities uh, differently. It, typically, when it comes to, uh, you know, agriculture uh, or uh, other sectors who need water for their, you know, usual uh, business or way of, of operation. But if we can anticipate uh, that. Um, you know, we'll have to adjust to uh, uh, new conditions, then there are other types of responses that can be considered. In our work, we've seen that, for instance, most OECD countries are currently revising or re- reforming their water allocation regime. Water allocation regime is a set of rules, policies, institutions that um, determine who can use how much water and when, and, and, and for what. And the point is that in most OECD countries, these regimes have been designed in times of plenty. And uh, so they are now um, um, maladapted to uh, uh, times of, of, of scarcity. So um, I think um, more attention on these. Another type of response is to make sure people realize that water is scarce, and you can signal that in different ways uh in some countries you can put a price on water and if it's well designed the price um, uh, can can signal the fact that water is scarce and that if i use it my neighbor or another user downstream will have um, less opportunity to use water and can that can harm him and of course where appropriate you can augment the supply of water we can probably make a better use of rainwater capturing it when when it pours and, and using it when, when it is uh, needed. We can make a better use of what we call reclaimed water, which is wastewater that is treated to particular quality standards, so that it can be uh, reused for agriculture or for cleaning our floors or, or our streets. In our work, we like to emphasize that um, augmenting supply, in particular through desalination, is, I mean, should come last.
0: So it kind of seems to me like we need a combination of national, international responses, you know, changes to infrastructure and the way we, we go about the, the kind of a recalibration of our relationship with water as societies, but also changes on the individual level. Um, are there any examples of countries that have implemented innovative policies already? I'm curious if there are any models to highlight or if there's kind of a lot of work to
1: improve for, for everyone. Every country is facing challenges, be it in terms of water scarcity and roads. Some are doing better than others, but I don't think there is any uh, model. Of course, you can think of the, the Netherlands, for instance, which are probably the world champions when it comes to uh, addressing flood risks because two thirds of the territory and a large share of the GDP is below sea level. Um, you can see, um, um, other countries like uh, Western states in the US, for instance, which are uh, severely affected by uh, long-lasting drought
0: So international cooperation is definitely something that we'll discuss in this episode. Uh, but when we talk about what the international community is dealing with right now, there are so many intersecting crises we're navigating a major food insecurity crisis that has been exacerbated by the war in Ukraine and that it seems will be worsened further by water scarcity. I'm curious if you could explain a little bit how drought and water scarcity affect the food supply and whether we should brace ourselves for even worse outcomes due to the high temperatures we're seeing and the consequences globally.
1: Yes, Karina, this is a massive question. What really drives um... Uh, yields for agriculture um, uh, production um, is a different type of water that we usually consider. We call it green water. It's, actu- it's actually moisture, uh, soil moisture, it's humidity in the air, it's vapor. I mean, that's, that's really what determines agriculture uh, yield. We now realize that uh, what we call green water uh, has been radically disrupted by the way our economies grow and, and develop. This is one of the consequences, or actually one of the drivers of, of climate change. Uh, drier air, drier soil, are affecting the hydrological cycle, ways which are uh, new in, in you know human human history. This has a number of, of consequences. It has another dimension, is that this uh, green water uh, vapor or humidity in the air travels uh, long distance. So typically, deforestation in Central Asia today affects uh, water uh, scarcity and precipitation in northern China. What brings another dimension to uh, what the crisis is it's this global uh, dimension there is another uh, dimension to this uh, connection between water and uh, agriculture and what's called food security is trade Uh, every single country actually has to make a political decision whether uh, they can trust global markets to procure the food they need And if I decide I can trust uh, uh, global markets and trade, then I don't need to grow these crops uh, on my own territory. Uh, The thing is that uh, over the last decade, maybe with some form of retreat of globalization, we tend to, I mean, and and this is exacerbated by the war between uh, Ukraine and and Russia uh, at the moment, two major food uh, or crop exporting uh, uh, countries. Uh, the decision to rely on global food markets for uh, food security becomes um, more challenging and this is likely to have uh, consequences on the way Uh, Countries decide to um, access food if I rely less on global markets.
0: Everything that you've just said and that we've kind of been alluding to throughout this conversation is the need for coordinated action. This is something that is affecting every country around the world. So, what have we seen already at the international level? I know that next March, the UN is holding its first water conference in over four decades. So, what can we expect in terms of objectives of this? We
1: know UN conference can't change the world, but they can initiate new discussions, new partnerships, new commitments. Um, and so one of my expectations is that that UN conference uh, next year, which will be the f- first UN conference focused on water in 47, 48 years. So it's not something that happens <laughs> every day. Um, so my expectation that we manage to put water on the radar it's, it's a bold ambition, um, but it's a condition to really uh, change the way we approach water and water is being managed. Because again, uh, these communities uh, who work on economic growth and development, uh, land use, urban development, agriculture, energy supply, and, and the like, they are the ones who actually uh, drive how water is being used. Another dimension which is how to engage with finance community. Uh, every single industry globally or value change uh, is exposed and vulnerable to water risk. That can create a number of consequences which can affect uh, the, the finance community. If I'm an investor and I invest in uh, you know, a garment company, a garment factory, uh, or a, a, a blue chip company, uh, I may not be aware that these industries are actually very heavily dependent on the on 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 water availability.
0: so it sounds like the OECD has a pretty substantial role to play in this what you just discussed in terms of working with finance communities seems like something that the OECD could really leverage it's you know, its convening power and also its expertise for. You mentioned earlier that a lot of the people making decisions about water policy are not always water experts. Uh, I'm curious if you could just tell me a little bit more about specifically what the OECD's place is in this.
1: Well, indeed, I think the OECD has a unique uh, role to play for a number of reasons. Um, One, because we specialize in economics uh, and very few... Organizations, um, you know, globally approach water from from an economics perspective. We also um, uh, multi sectoral organization. If you compare the OECD with UN agencies, typically you will have UN agencies focusing on environment, organization, food, and, and energy. At the OECD, we we all work under the same roof, and um, you know, considering the cross cutting nature. Uh, of water, this is definitely an advantage and it's very easy uh, while I work in the environment directory to uh, um, uh, engage and cooperate with colleagues who work on urban issues for instance, uh, agriculture uh, infrastructure and of course everything we do needs to be policy relevant and so that you mentioned our convening power, I think we have that capacity to uh, engage with governance and again uh, this is I think a distinctive uh, capacity uh, we have. That's why I was really thrilled when uh, I was approached by the sponsors of the Global Commission. The idea is to say that look, 20 years ago there was a stand report on climate which was able to really change the conversation on, on the economics of climate change. The, the, the Netherlands uh, set up a global commission which has about uh, 20 members uh, and which is led by four co chairs. And the four co chairs are really you know, champions who can really help uh, redirect uh, the analysis and the conversation on, on water. Uh, on the four co-chairs are Marina Mazzucato, a very innovative and thought-provoking uh, uh, economist, uh, based at UCL. Johan Rockström, who is one of the you know uh, promoters of this concept of uh, planetary boundaries, and uh, Johan has a unique understanding of you know the, the the some of the issues I mentioned earlier about green water and these hydrological cycle and how it has been disrupted uh, or it is being disrupted by uh, climate change and by the way our economies grow. Beyond that, also to engage uh, with a range of, as we said earlier, policy committees who have to better understand how their decisions on the one hand affect uh, water availability and use but at the same time are dependent on uh, water uh, availability. The role of the OECD here is to uh, facilitate or support the work of the Global Commission. We are positioned as some sort of a coordination hub uh, to bring together the different broad streams. March 2023 uh, will be a key milestone with the UN Conference, but that will not be the end of the, of the journey. There will be another year to embark into more research, more detailed recommendations. We are one of the very few organizations globally who work on economics, and who approach pro-torture from, from an economic perspective. So I have no doubt that, that uh, the Global Commission can make a huge difference and can really inspire uh, our work.
0: It's a huge subject. We've only had so much time, but I think this will give listeners a lot of context to understand the news. Um, and thank you so much for, for joining me. My pleasure. To learn more about the OECD's work on water, visit www.oecd.org/water. To listen to other OECD podcasts, find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud.com/oecd.